0: to bureaucracy! Hello there, and welcome to Magic by Design. We're reviewing Pixar's sixth animated feature, The Incredibles, this week, first released in 2004. But before we suit up, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Ken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother Garrett. Garrett, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm... I'm... I'm Ken. I'm super. <laughs> are you... incredible? Oh, so Oh, wordplay. It's tremendous. How's your week been? Uh, busy. Yeah, me too. It's my second podcast of the day, busy work week, because there's a show that they were recording this, so it was always a busier week, working on a Saturday. So a lot of stuff going on, a stressful week. But here we are watching a cool Pixar movie, being happy and, and escaping into the world of The Incredibles.
0: this is another one that I haven't watched a lot over the years for whatever reason, I don't know. But it it felt like a, a lot of it I was watching with fresh eyes because I, I don't think I, I've I know I've seen it since I saw it in the cinema, but I don't think I've seen it that many times.
1: I don't remember seeing this the first time, and I know for a fact I did i remember quite enjoying it like i remember the aftermath of me liking it
0: but i don't remember ever actually watching it the whole bit like at the start where they lay the groundwork in the past well not the, the not too distant past i don't remember any of that
1: no and it's just i no none of it it's it's weird because like as I said, it would have fallen in my Pixar watch, and it would have I, I would I definitely saw it the first time, but I don't remember watching it the first time. And I do remember there the there was an Incredibles game on PS two, which we still have down there somewhere as well, I think. And I definitely played that, but I don't remember watching it the first time. It's weird. It's weird the way my brain captured. Maybe it's the like that weird thing because this was released in what did you say, 05? Oh five. 04. 04, which would have been I think my first year of secondary school, right? Yes. So, like, I would have been 12, 13, 12. I, I don't know. I don't remember. Why don't I remember things from when I was 12?
0: I don't know. Maybe there's been too much since. Mm.
1: My brain is just starting to delete Disney movies. I've seen too many Disney movies. It's just like, every one I watch, is now like, delete Incredibles. Next it will be delete Cars, delete Ratatouille.
0: I know this notion of time being faster is a myth but i do feel like especially in the trump era one year felt like five Mm. so maybe there's something to that our brains are just pushing out data
1: yeah and especially we are being overwhelmed more and more every day between culture and news and everything in the world is moving faster and there's more of it so our brain is just like oh i give up (laughs) you know what i just give up just jettison the the incredibles your entire childhood it's gone now so you can remember some dumb
0: news story from two weeks ago. The Incredibles is directed by Brad Bird, who was Pixar's first outside director. Bird developed the film as an extension of 1960s comic books and spy films from his boyhood and personal family life. We'll get into that later. Bird, of course, famous for uh, The Iron Giant. Of course. Which I haven't seen. And I was surprised to see was a flop. Was it? Well, maybe not a flop, that's a bit unkind, but it performed below expectations to the point where Warner Brothers cancelled his deal.
1: Oh yeah, 50 million budget, 30 million gross. But it, it's become one of those like cult hits, I know it's beloved.
0: Yeah, very well received in later years.
1: I'm pretty sure we did the book in primary school and I accidentally borrowed the book from somebody and then lost it. So, sorry, I don't remember whose copy I lost, but sorry about that. But yeah, the and Iron Giant is particularly notable because Iron Giant is in Space Jam. Yes. After being in Ready Player One, too. So Iron Giant is in all of the Warner Bros. crossover movies.
0: He's getting a lot of run outs these
1: days. Mm, for a flop that frickin' Warner Bros. wanted to disown and kick Brad Bird out of the studio
0: for. Yeah. So he was old friends with John Lasseter from their time at CalArts, that famous class. And he convinced them to come over to Pixar. And he pitched the project. And the rest is history. Lasseter loved it.
1: The, the Incredibles is a very interesting film to look back on now. Because, like, 2004, there were a lot of superhero movies. Like, by that stage, you would have already had two X-Men movies? Uh, You would have had a bunch of Batman and Superman movies going back a long, long time. It would still be another, like, five years before the MCU kicked off and we would hit, like, the the peak year of superhero movies that become relentless and unavoidable that we're living in now. But it's very interesting to watch a movie that's, like, lampooning superheroes but from an era before when superheroes were i'm not gonna say were pervasive in pop culture because they already were you know from comic books and tv superheroes were already a thing that were all over the place but we had not yet hit peak superhero and they were already like let's do a superhero spoof
0: that's interesting and there was a bit of hesitancy around this film they didn't think it would be successful why I'm not sure. I think that it was a big swing for them in terms of putting human characters front and centre. And it's quite an adult movie. It's quite serious and dark at times.
1: And I guess superheroes were still considered a relative niche and maybe a tad bit of a risk because you would have had a lot of movies that either the likes of Daredevil, the likes of Elektra, all of those terrible movies. Uh, of course, we didn't mention the Spider-Man movies were during this period as well, but they were hugely successful. So maybe that's, that's what pushed them over the line. They were like, look, these X-Men movies are doing very good. The Batman movies in the 90s did very good. And these spider-man movies are making bank so clearly superhero movies is the way to go
0: also coming after finding nemo pixar had a lot of good faith with audiences at the box office i'd imagine
1: yeah and finding nemo and toy story netbook's life and freaking monsters inc it's a, a hero's rung of movies that they can lean on over and over again to get people in deceased films
0: the film premiered in november 2004 performing well at the box office despite concerns that it would not as we said grossing 633 million worldwide during its original theatrical run off a budget of 92 million
1: the interesting thing, this film came out October 2004. Well, or, premiered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- wide release in November. Fantastic Four, the Marvel movie, came out in July 2005. And this is a better, The Incredibles is a better Fantastic Four movie than Marvel have ever made.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that, Garrett. Apparently they had to add a lot more effects and rewrites after they saw The Incredibles because it was uncanny. How similar it was
1: because like it is a Fantastic Four movie. It's a, and that's the the fun thing about the Incredibles is to see like the the superhero influences they're leaning on. Where you know Mister Incredible is kind of like a Superman, but there's a lot of like Batman in him and like the way they had the car and all that stuff.
0: Bit of a cap in there as well, maybe.
1: Yeah, uh, where uh, where last the girls obviously like. Uh, Captain uh, Captain Fantastic?
0: Mr. Fantastic? Mr. Fantastic. Mr.
1: Fantastic. Reed Richards. Stretchy. In- Invisible Girl, the same as Jessica Alba, the character. you know. Sue Storm. Sue Storm, there you go. And, you know, it, it, it's clearly straight-lifted out of Fantastic Four. But then you get other elements in there. Like, there's a lot of Bond in this
0: movie. Yeah, it's an interesting one because... Most people will remember this as a superhero film, but it's ostensibly a spy film.
1: Yeah, like there is a ton of like what feels like real James Bond influences here, and obviously there's a bunch of X Men as well, because like the the robots they're fighting, the round robot thingies, are basically Sentinels. You know, the whole idea that they're they're designed to kill superheroes and adapt to superhero powers and kill them—that's entirely Sentinels. And even you know when um uh, Mr. Mr. Incredible walks into that like round circular room where they reveal all the plan. It's just Cerebro from X-Men.
0: Yeah, but it's funny how they kind of poke fun at the hubris of the villain as well, because his entire plan, including a countdown, is contained in that computer. Why would you leave that lying around?
1: It's just good archive work, Ken. You want to you want to make sure everything's archived and everyone's, you can send them the file. It's like, all right, goons, here's our plan. I don't have to repeat it. You can just watch the video file, click, double-click the MP4, it'll open right up. You touched
0: on the visuals there, Ken. Bird brought a core team of those who worked with him on The Iron Giant to Pixar to work on the film. In fact, pretty much the whole team went with him. Oh, interesting. So it's
1: really not a Pixar film then.
0: Well, I assume they had their core animators that got in on the project, but it was Bird's film and Bird's crew. You can definitely see that influence in the technology and robots in the film, though.
1: Love Iron Giant. Like, the only place I think the visuals are let down is early in the movie there's a sequence where they're flying through the nighttime streets of the city and it looks like... Remember the old Spider-Man cartoon intro? Yes. Where they had Spider-Man going through the city and it, it doesn't look great but it's already 3D animation in a, a freaking TV cartoon so it's not going to look great. It still looks kind of like that or like the buildings are featureless, the buildings are like plain and textureless and actually I, w- I will also critique the jungle at the end of the movie. Uh, I don't think looks particularly good.
0: I think the island as a whole when they have wide shots looks good but mm. when they get Close up and you can see the plants and stuff like that. It's like it does, the same
1: two leaves over and over again.
0: Yeah, it does look a bit uh, plastic, for want of a better term.
1: It doesn't really, like, have a ton of diversity or detail in it. That, like, I, I guarantee you, if this movie was made in 2021, two things would have happened. That jungle uh, would have been uh, full of detail and, like, plants and luscious flowers and... The girl character, what was her name? Violet? Yes. W- would have been played by Arby Plaza.
0: For sure. <laughs> if this movie was released in 2021. Well, I have a note here that might explain the visuals. Uh, it is somewhat of a step back from what we're used to at Pixar. Particularly,
1: like the last film, Finding Nemo, which is their best looking film so far.
0: The artists from The Iron Giant worked in 2D traditionally, mm. so they found it challenging to make the film in 3D. It was a transition for them. They had to learn all new tools. Bird commented at the time that he liked the format right away and found it wonderfully, manu- wonderfully malleable. That's a hard sentence to say. Mm. Malleable. In a way that traditional animation was not, calling the camera's ability to easily switch angles in a given scene marvellously adaptable. He did, however, find working in computer animation difficult in a different way than it was working traditionally, finding the software sophisticated and not particularly friendly.
1: So it's just hard to use, is
0: what he's saying. Yeah, it's like anything. Like, I, I've i jostled around with that animation software myself it's it's technical it's it's a lot of maths it's a lot of work
1: UI design is a more modern concept you know increasingly like these softwares are built for users yes. instead of built just to do what they're supposed to do like more and more people are like all right how, how is the user experience of this is it easy is it like intuitive as a, I doubt those were as big of considerations back in 2004.
0: No, it's built for nerds, basically. Yes, it's yeah.
1: built by nerds for nerds. And increasingly, they're like, what if we?" it's built by nerds for nerds? But we also have a UI designer in here who tries to make it approachable and understandable to
0: non-nerds. And then we can sell it for billions. The Incredibles is ambitious in a sense that it's the first Pixar film to have an all-human cast of characters. So where we lost in terms of maybe background visuals, we did gain in terms of human animation. The animation team was tasked with animating things like human anatomy, clothing, realistic skin and hair you you mentioned they hadn't got hair right last week you can see there was a jump in terms of hair in this movie Mm.
1: but even then if you look very closely at it it's like it's not hair you know, but you can see the, <laughs> that's not real hair.
0: <laughs> you can you can see the kind of kinks and split ends, which I thought was impressive.
1: Yeah, because uh, Bob's hair in particular can look kind of weird at times.
0: It does. Supervising technical director Rick Sayre noted that the hardest thing about the film was that there was no hardest thing, alluding to the amount of new technical challenges such as humans, but also fire, water, air, smoke, steam, and explosions all added new additional layers of difficulty.
1: Yeah, and they did all the hard things. People are always like water is hard there's water in this movie there's lots of it fire is hard there's fire in this movie there's lots of it including a literal wall of fire at one stage uh, hair all these characters have hair can very few bald characters in this movie so i they did approach all of the traditionally quote-unquote difficult things to do in animation they did not shy away from them this is also the longest pixar movie
0: so far this is nearly two hours yeah i I really admire that because it's hard to make this film in 90 minutes let alone add another at least 20 minutes i think they added and, like, it works. It's, it's if, in terms of pacing, in terms
1: of plot, I think it works. And in terms of, like, the even the way they establish, like, superhero things. Because if you remember the big scene from the Avengers, Ken, when they're standing on that bridge and they're surrounded. And for the first time, the Avengers are a team. And they do the pan around moment. And the, the, the orchestra swells and the Avengers theme plays. And it's probably the most memorable moment of that film. It's the hero shot, which... Is straight out of Incredibles. Right? Yeah. Like there's a moment in the third act of this film where all the family finally comes together, and there's a bunch of villains, and they stand there and they play the da 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 exactly, and, and it- then they go and all kick ass, and it- it's like that that scene is literally lifted out of the Incredibles.
0: They all pose. It's funny you mentioned that because that crossed my mind as well last night. The film is set in an alternative version of the 1960s. The design reference point is that of retro futurism, so we see technology that doesn't yet exist. I think they did a great job of capturing the aesthetic of the time while integrating these futuristic elements
1: so the the later part of the film is set in the 60s yes so the early part because we do get a 15 year later jump
0: yeah probably late 40s I would say yeah so
1: yeah and like there's a widescreen TVs on the wall but they're like obviously as you mentioned retro futurism so it's like what if we had a widescreen flat screen TVs back in the 60s
0: but they do pastiche in terms of the, the buildings of the time especially the homes mm. it really on the nose in terms of those open plan 1960s condo style houses because this is very much a hybrid
1: film and that it's not just a superhero film it's also a family film which yes. they, they drive home toward the end of the movie when there's like gags about them being in the RV and taking the right exit like that's straight out of like a family road trip movie so they there, there's multiple genres at play here. They're kind of juggling a lot of balls in the air.
0: You talk about animating humans, but also animating humans with superpowers must have especially been difficult. You and
1: know. Like, a lot of the, the, the powers are okay. They can be relatively static, but there's two that's quite hard. Dash. Yes, I have that And the other one that's probably harder is Frozone. Yeah. Because, like, he's pew-pew ice all over the place, and you have to do the, all the ice things, and then he has to move realistically on the ice the entire time.
0: Like an ice skater.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's basically an ice skating um, package film, this short, but turned into a superhero and put into this Incredibles 3D movie.
0: Yeah, so I think while I, I can agree that some of the visuals in terms of the the environments aren't as sophisticated as we have come to expect i think there's a lot in terms of the architecture of this movie and the characters that, that's moving the medium forward
1: and for the most part this film looks like i, I don't think there's a single frame in this film i would describe as beautiful mm-hmm. you know it's the, quite muted as a film isn't it yeah and i think that's almost by design as you mentioned like the production design the production aesthetic they're going for is very like old school 60s muted normal life so it's not it's not meant to be bombastic it's just meant to be a family living in a house uh, under hiding by 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 its inherent nature it's meant to be like out of sight out of mind and even though when you see bob in his office that that the idea is the color palette is there is muted because he's living that soulless horrible life in an office so which
0: which thrusts him into a midlife crisis which is also one of the central themes of this movie
1: so i do i do think some of the like the paired back visual aesthetic is, is a choice it's not just a a kind of like a technical restraint but then i do think when they get to like the jungle as i said if that jungle were 2020 there'd be flowers everywhere there'd be colors everywhere there would be a lot more going on there as opposed to what it actually is which is like the same three green leaves just copied and pasted into every scene
0: the incredibles as a concept dates back to 1993 when bird sketched the family during an uncertain point in his film career personal issues had percolated into the story as they weighed on him in life so So he was going through a, a divorce Not so much a divorce, but, you know, during this time he had signed a production deal with Warner Brothers, feature animation and was in the process of directing his first feature, The Iron Giant. Approaching middle age and having high aspirations for his filmmaking, Bird pondered whether his career goals were attainable only at the price of his family life. He stated, Consciously, this was just a funny movie about superheroes, but I think that what was going on in my life definitely filtered into the movie
1: and i think that's what make this makes this movie interesting because like there's a lot of going on about the superhero stuff that I think is very good and very interesting and very well executed yeah. well like, again going back to Pixar's trademark world building where it's like we have a world of, we're full of superheroes but then a bunch of people sue for, for <laughs> basically yeah. the, the first person be suing for being saved when he didn't want to and, the, and everyone else then suing because you know they got hurt when a, a, a botched save and then eventually superhero programs are shut down and they go into hiding and they go back into living normal lives and then in typical Pixar fashion they're like well what would the world look like when superheroes are living their normal superhero lives
0: yeah i appreciate that they spent the time to explain why the supers went away and you know the contrast between the sensational opening and the muted mundane reality of civilian life highlights what the powers have lost and yeah it's a movie about dealing with that and midlife crises so like they're super people but they're still human and they're going through these trials because when they were lone wolves they didn't have that issue because all they had was their work but now they're trying to be a family but also they still have that calling, so it's very interesting.
1: And it, it reminds me a lot of Toy Story. Like, yeah. Bob is very Woody-like, in that, they, you know, they have this one purpose, and then that purpose is either challenged or removed, and then what comes next? What comes after that? How do you live your life? You're a superhero. You're, you have super strength. How do you live your life without using that super strength? The super strength is still there.
0: He can still lift a car, but he's not allowed. And even Dash, as a kid, he's a 10-year-old. He wants to show off, and he can't, and then he acts out. And then, like, even going to
1: Bob, like, there is an innate want to help people, you know, both in his workplace with the old lady who he gives the secret insurance advice to, which he does to all of his customers. But even when he's in the office with his boss and there's somebody being mugged, he's like, I have to go help them. Like, I can help them,
0: therefore I should. To the point where he brutalizes his boss because he prevents him from
1: (laughs) saving him. (laughs) And puts him, presumably, in some kind of coma by knocking him through five walls? Yeah voiced by Wallace Shawn there's the Pixar Mighty Players all over this movie
0: that line I had at the start was from him I absolutely love that line it's hilarious speaking of lines the dialogue in this movie is excellent it's so natural and witty it's rare that you see a movie that accurately captures real human conversation
1: yeah it's it's it doesn't feel stilted it doesn't feel forced the jokes don't feel tired or even out of date because of course this film is now 17 years old and none of the jokes or dialogue feel out of date they feel like uh, timeless which is always a a good achievement for comedy because comedy we all know comedy tends to punch down on the people of the time and this film doesn't do any of that
0: (laughs) it's so natural it's just about family dynamics and the jokes that come out of that yeah so I really enjoyed that part but I, I think as you said it's another really interesting and imaginative premise so what's it like when superheroes have to adjust to real life how do you go on when you've lost your purpose and the struggle to get back in the game when you're middle aged and been sidelined for years but like there's all this stuff going on and then he's he's hiding a secret from his family and they think things are better than ever but actually they're not yeah
1: and, and there's the like little the infidelity subplot about what she thinks he's cheating on him and then what that does to the family and you know the strain that not using their power puts on Bob and Helen and then the strain that they're arguing puts on the kids below them so yeah that's a good there's a lot of good family dynamics going on
0: you get some serious adultery vibes between Bob and Mirage I know they tiptoe up to that he never crosses a line but the subtext is there but actually when you think about it in reality you talked about it there he's cheating on his whole family because mm. they all keep to the contract to stay safe they all want to you know live their normal lives but you and know they've already moved
1: multiple times
0: you know, for his selfishness yeah, so.
1: suggesting that Bob has not been able to keep himself in line few times now
0: yeah like some very adult themes here so like i can see maybe why they thought it was risky
1: and yeah like this is you know there's mention of like suicide in this movie there's there there, there is some adult stuff in this movie that's not just directly aimed at kids so yeah they, they do push the boat out
0: i have a note here as well Gar, did the incredibles predict ipads but then i got even more cynical because who was a key investor in Pixar, girl.
1: Oh, Steve Jobs, or yeah. maybe Steve Jobs watched the Incredibles and went.
0: Ah, oh. I think this could be sneaky early subliminal advertising for Apple.
1: Yeah, they're like, so we have this prototype, and it's probably a good like five, six years
0: away from market at this stage. But put it in your movies. Could people will be like, iPad? I feel like I've seen this before. Who
1: uses an iPad in this movie?
0: He gets one with the mission. Do you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, essentially yeah. an iPad. Is what it is. So yeah, clearly Steve
1: Jobs is product placing in these Pixar movies for products that aren't anywhere near finished. Another
0: thing I find really interesting is, for the second movie in a row, one of the directors voiced a key character.
1: Voiced very well as well, by the way.
0: It blew my mind. I did not notice. Edna Mode is Brad Bird. Mm. And
1: again, that's another one of those things that that really smartly realises a thing about superheroes, which is like, where do they get their costumes? Yeah. And a lot of the time it's like Spider-Man famously you know, makes his a lot because that's the nature of the character. He's this down to earth character who makes his own suits because he's just your friendly neighbour Spider-Man. But yeah, it's just like this fashion designer who secretly on the side makes superhero super
0: suits. Because she gets her thrills from that as well. She doesn't like working with supermodels or traditional fashion. Yeah. Such a brilliant character though. Steals the show in any scene she's in. Yeah.
1: Very, very good performance, very good character, and just the right kind of weird. It's like offbeat, off kilter, different. Because it, it, there's like a, a a kind of cliche fashion designer, which she is kind of. Yeah. Like you know,
0: narcissistic, self absorbed, high like, strung,
1: all that stuff. But then she's like weird, and, and she, you know, the whole thing where she's like, oh, don't make, don't beg for me, love. Don't, don't, don't do, okay, I'll do it. You know, she just immediately goes to, to wanting to do these things because she does. She just wants the superhero fix. She wants the high of superhero suits.
0: The cape sequence is hilarious in that scene as well, where Bob meets Edna for the first time in years. It pays off incredibly at the end as well.
1: Yep, incredibly suited there.
0: And the thing is, I when I watched it at the time, I probably didn't twig that. But any, really? <laughs> any person who watches it now, like, you know, you're going to know he's the only person in the movie that wears a cape. You know it's going to pay off, yeah. but it's still very satisfying. Then he's
1: sucked into a plane engine and gruesomely dies after being smashed
0: to bits. I had a note here as well. You had me monologuing, which I thought was kind of funny. Jason Lee is very good in this movie as well.
1: Yeah, and, and subverting the villain stuff and being self-aware of all the villain stuff. And, like, him as a character is, like... All about Stan culture, all about toxic fandom. Actually,
0: I actually had a note on this as well, guy. I wanted to ask you, like, where do you land on him? Do you think that he became who he was because Bob was too harsh with him and, yes. and it's his fault? Yes. Or do you think that that was in him all the time? And even if he nurtured it, it would have gone awry eventually. So is, well, he, is, he, is, he, is it his fault that he is the way he is? A little bit of both. Because he's clearly a toxic fan. Yes. You know, he's he's
1: thoroughly, like, like steeped in the culture of the Incredibles and Mr. Incredible and all his life and all his uh, doings and thinks he has, like, this emotional connection to this person who just does not know him in any meaningful way and then pushes the boundaries of that emotional connection until he gets pushed away in a way that's understandable because, one, he's putting other people in danger and he's letting other villains escape. Uh, Bomb, voyage, great pun. Top notch.
0: (laughs) Um, I had a note there as well. It's... it's excellent
1: yeah so so like he you know bob is right to push him away because he is causing more trouble than he's worth but i find it very interesting like if people put this character in a movie now i might kind of groan at it it's like oh look at you trying to make something say something about toxic fandom great but this is in 2004 where like it's not like toxic fandom didn't exist because when you look at like a lot of the behaviors people do now go all the way back to the beatles you know For sure. This isn't new, it's just amplified and I think warped by social media, where it's more of the tribe, it becomes more toxic because of social media. But they're commenting on that and it's before it's time and probably more and more relevant the more you watch it, the way Syndrome becomes a character that is just a toxic fan who has gone far, far, far too far.
0: That's a lot of far's in one sentence. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because you do feel for him, but you don't go into that line of, you know these days they all want it's entitlement it's yeah. just plain he feels entitled to a relationship with a superhero but they want to redeem villains and they want them to be like Shades of Grey. And I get that because you can make movies out of it or whatever. You but can like, make your Cruella prequel where it's like we explain the depths of why she kills puppies. But yeah, we know why Syndrome is who he is but it doesn't stop us from hating his actions and wanting to see him get his comeuppance which he does in the end. Yeah,
1: he's a jerk and he gets killed. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another pretty gruesome death. Yeah, very, very smashed a bit. We have the barracudas gnawing eggs and murdering people and eating them. And now we have the sucked into
0: a plane engine it's not a nice way to go i had one more note here on the story car superheroes squabbling in everyday quarrels is endlessly hilarious so i think that we talked about that a minute ago when they're in the rv and they're arguing like a family but they're there's this like really high stakes thing going on in their superhero costumes so the juxtaposition of that is really funny
1: yeah i think i think all of the elements of this movie work the family dynamics work the like uh, narrative works i will i will ask because it's hard to say now because i actively don't remember my original viewing of the film like do you remember the twist at, at the end no the the syndrome twist where like you're introduced to you know uh, mirage as this character who's just giving bob missions but it turns out the missions are to uh, train the robot to kill him and there's the twist that he's actually working for the villain yes, all along i,
0: I didn't know that yeah
1: but yeah i remembered it watching now but i don't remember like the effectiveness of that twist you know watching it again and i don't know It's it's always one of those things that I I can't put myself back where I was because I said I really don't remember the first time I watched this movie. So I can't remember how that twist worked on me. But pretty, pretty hefty because
0: at one point he thinks his family is dead.
1: Yeah, his family gets shot out of the sky and he's like, no.
0: Overall, I think one of the strongest stories yet Mm. and just really interesting from a dialogue point of view, from a family dynamics point of view, from a human character study point of view,
1: even action. A lot of the times, action in these animated movies, I kind of just check out of. I don't think it's particularly interesting a lot of the time. Yeah. Whereas here, I think the action in it is very good. Yeah, it's
0: visceral. As you said, because it, it's so hard to do, it's normally kind of a crash-bang wallop. You can't really see what's going on. But th- that was a really long sequence where they were battling that sentinel. It's Kronos or something I think it's called. But. Yeah,
1: well, that's the name of the overall plan. I can't remember, <laughs> is that the name of the actual robots? But yeah, the, and even like the, the mid-film action scene where they're coming together as a family to fight all like the goons and their uh, freaking disc. Ships, <laughs> like that's that's a really cool scene, and where Dash runs on water, and where Violet embraces her powers, and again, where that moment where they all come together, and you get the
0: moment. Great score in this movie as well, by the yeah. way. Nice segue there, Gar. The Incredibles marks the first collaboration with Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. John Barry was the first choice with a re recording of his theme from the Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service used in a trailer for the film.
1: Oh, interesting that they were like, they, they wore the Bond inspirations on their sleeve then.
0: Barry did not want to replicate music he'd done in the past, so the job went to Giacchino instead, and the rest is history as we know. Yeah, who has done
1: Mission Impossible, Jurassic Park, or the later Jurassic Park movies anyway. John Williams did the, the early Jurassic Park ones. Up. Did some MCU films. Yeah, he's done seven Pixar movies, including Operator oh, 2 and this. Um, So yeah, I know he's a big, I think, J.J. Abrams is his go-to, generally. But yeah, it's a great score. It's like, because if you watch the Marvel movies, I think one of the biggest critiques of those movies is the music in a lot of them sucks. Yeah, true. Unless it's licensed music or the Avengers theme. The rest of it isn't particularly good. There's not like a really memorable Iron Man theme. There's not a really memorable like Doctor Strange theme, you know, where that's the kind of thing you'd expect out of this music. But. There is a really memorable Incredibles theme. Like, after you watch this movie, you will be like, da 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 for hours after. That will stay in your brain.
0: I'd say it's iconic. I think the way they do it is interesting because it's a superhero score through the lens of a 60s spy caper score. And you get your Bond influences as well. Some of it's straight up lifted from a Bond movie, but yeah, in a good way.
1: A particularly a sequence where um, Bob is infiltrating the the, the goon lair and he's doing a bunch of spy stuff and sneaking. And the, the, like that's literally, the music is straight out of a Bond movie. It's not even subtle, and it's not intended to be subtle.
0: The score was also recorded on analog tapes to give it an old school feel. Oh, that's cool. It was felt that brass instruments, which are front and center in this film's music, sounded better on tape. So, like, just that attention to detail again is wonderful. Also, contrary to modern standards, the music for the film was recorded with everyone in the same room at the behest of sound designer Dan Wallen, as he viewed it as the right way of doing things. He was from the old school, you see. Hmm. So, we, you know, there's that famous thing where you see the soundtracks for these '90s movies; they're all in the same room. They stopped doing that. It's just
1: you, you get the brass people do the brass thing, you get the guitars do the guitar things, and then. And you just in the editing software you just layer it which is the way a lot of people do it now and uh, clearly these people are old school it's like no get them all in the same room we actually record the music
0: yeah playing against each other feeding off each other's energy that's the kind of style they were looking for you know this had an influence on joshino who adopted this approach in many future projects which divides critics as some argue that it can sound unnatural at times what do you mean? You'd argue that it sounds more natural. Yeah, surely
1: it's more organic than like It's it's unnatural to record them all separately and layer them in audio software than it is to get people in the room to actually play the music.
0: I imagine they mean that you're bleeding a bit, like your guest sounds bleeding into each other. Isn't that good? I think so. I, I don't understand what their point is with this. It's they, probably like music purists. It's like, oh,
1: it's not pure. It needs to be pure. It's like, uh, how does it work? How does it make you feel? That's what you should be thinking about. Not this, how does it work mechanically. And again, when that that music swells in this movie and the, the, these, the, the cool action scenes happen, it makes you feel. That's all that matters.
0: Building on that, Gar, you really notice the absence of a score in parts of this movie. You know, we said that the middle part, not even the middle part, but I suppose, the bit after the opening sequence, before we get to Bob moonlighting and then returning as the Incredibles or becoming the family of Incredibles, it's silent. Mm. There's no music. There's no score. It's just... Either silence or human conversation. His bleak human life. Which is, a, a, again, a wonderful little
1: creative choice. We refer to, like, the design aesthetic. Deliberately removing a, a, a lot of, like, the flourishes and interesting stuff that you would normally see in these kind of films. And they did the same thing with the music. They made it, like, sparse. They made it simple. And it's just him in his cubicle talking to people ruining their lives about insurance. And no music, no colour. That's what his life is. And that that's the reason, like, we understand why he wants to go on his superhero capers. Because he's miserable. You see he's miserable.
0: Yeah, like, you get the feeling of claustrophobia and just being boxed in. When you literally see him in his car or yeah. he is boxed in. And his cubicle. But also, the lack of of noise and sound is actually a bit disconcerting mm. and uncomfortable i think it's a really good choice there's times when it's so quiet you could hear a pin drop it feels like as you said this was a conscious motif to depict the mundane nature of everyday life because the score is very different in sections of the movie especially the hero parts but like it doesn't just go from zero to 100 as soon as he starts dipping his toe into the hero world again the score starts picking up mm. and then it crescendos at the end with a da very smart stuff because joy comes back to his life slowly Great voice performances across the board in this movie as well. Yeah. Jason Lee, a syndrome, as we said.
1: Samuel L. Jackson, as for own, very good.
0: Yeah. He has an argument with his wife, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where is my super suit? Woman, i got to save the world. It's like, I am your world. <laughs> so good. Sorry for doing a black voice. I'm sorry. Can now has the debate whether or not he edits that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but across the board, Holly Hunter, Craig T. Nelson is great. God, I, I took a note of the girl who plays Violet. But, Sarah Vowell. Yeah, excellent as well.
1: Spencer Fox plays the kid.
0: Replaced in the sequel. Oh. But,
1: Which is sexist. Yeah. Because uh, I assume Sarah Val does it in the sequel. She it's, does. It's, it's But like, you couldn't have had Dash just say his voice broke, you know?
0: Yeah. He's a, he's close enough to the age where his voice could break. I would probably would have aged him up anyway a bit for the sequel, but yeah. I, I haven't seen it. The Incredibles won two Academy Awards for best animated feature, beating two DreamWorks films: Shrek Two and Shark Tale. Oh, not big competition there as far as Shark Tale was it.
1: definitely their Finding Nemo as well, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: it's it, funny how that happens in Hollywood. We talked about this in the podcast in the, the past, ants. and th- there was two Snow White films at the exact same time at one point. I remember in the not so distant past it's almost
1: like these studios are trying to steal ideas from each other
0: but it also had a well-deserved win for best sound editing
1: yeah very good and even the best anime feature as well over shark Tale and freaking shrek 2
0: a sequel incredibles 2 was released in 2018 i just never got to that in the cinema so when we watch it for the podcast it will be the first time of me watching it
1: yeah i um i have seen it i think yes. it's it's fine
0: I think you remarked at the time that it didn't need to have a sequel.
1: No, it didn't need to exist and that's my memory of it. It just didn't justify its existence at all. And I, 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 if I, if memory serves, it basically does this but flips the dynamics where Mrs. Incredible wants more and he's content with his life. So it's basically the same movie again but they just flipped the dynamics.
0: It happened again but Freaky Friday. And
1: it's like, all right, you had nothing to tell. You didn't have a story to tell here, did you? Mm-hmm. Even though they technically set up a sequel Rise of the Underminer. Yeah. But that, they made that into a video game actually. They turned the the, the, the Underminer thing, the tease at the end, which I think is a very cute little comics-y thing. You know, these stories never end. They always keep moving on. Yeah. So, like, the cute superhero thing where it's like, and the, yeah, and the next villain shows up and then they go on the next adventure, but they turn that into a video game.
0: Gary, you commented last night, this is better than 90% of hero films you'll see out there.
1: Yeah, it's better than pretty much any of the DC films. I think all of the DC films. I think this is better than any DC film, even the DC, DC films I like. And better than, like, a majority of of the MCU films, a lot of excellent films, a lot of Spider-Man films. So like it, it's in the top 10% of superhero movies. Like Marvel have tried to make three Fantastic Four movies, one a sequel and a reboot, none of which were anywhere near as good as this. Well, they were under Fox, but none of which were nearly as good as the Incredibles. So like, what are you doing? Why would you ever make a, another, a Fantastic Four film when just make a live action Incredibles? Disney owns both of them now. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could do a crossover. They should just make The
1: Incredibles Fantastic Four.
0: They should just change (laughs) the names. But, you know, as you said, it's got thrilling action. It's got great world building. The characters are believable. You understand their motivations. Well paced. Good dialogue. Good jokes. Doesn't have a ton of deeper themes. Which
1: is probably what keeps it from being like, you know, Monsters, Inc. level interesting, which has a ton of deeper themes. This is more about like straightforward family dynamics and lampooning superheroes, which is thumbs up in its own right. But it's not like the real deep high art that you get with Monsters, Inc.
0: But I, I think it's a really polished piece of filmmaking. Brad Bird is known for that. It's not, as you said, it's not reaching for those deeper heart wrenching themes, but it's just a really well executed film. I don't think anything, I think everything hits to make this... Uh, a really really I wouldn't even say enjoyable. I, I think this is a film that again I'm kicking myself that I don't go back to as often
1: yeah and like there's a version of this film that probably does try to be serious or more serious and try to like reflect on the nature of superheroes which is a thing you see happen in superhero movies a lot now like the entire premise of the X-Men is that they're set against the world the world hates them the world ostracizes them because X-Men is generally a parable for otherness and like Marvel did the same thing with the Sokovia Accords like super. Superman always has this phase where the public has turned on Superman. What's the nature of superheroes? And like there is there's some of that more as like a story mechanic than like a a thematic mechanic because like it is the like driving force for the superheroes being forced on the ground. But they don't really reflect on that much afterwards. It's more about how that decision affects uh, like this family as opposed to how that decision reflects on society. So like there's probably and I I think as a worse version of this movie that tries to be like what is the nature of superheroes let us contemplate on this because like who cares just make me a fun superhero movie
0: yeah a fun superhero movie where the characters are deep but we don't need to we don't need to batter us over the head with a moral because it comes out through, through the family dynamic as we said you're just having a fun good time and trust Pixar to pull off a superhero spy film
1: yeah they can do anything. To be fair, as we mentioned, it's not much to do with Pixar, because Brad Bird directed, wrote it, and brought in a great deal of his own animated team. But Pixar put the money behind it, so there you
0: go. And the fact that they trusted someone to do that, they could really stick to their guns and say, okay, we have our people here. This is what works. Let's not take risks. Or even but, be snobbish about it. It's yeah. like, oh,
1: huh, Brad Bird's approach to animation. Oh, that's not the Pixar way.
0: And he flopped with the oh, Iron Giant. Giant.
1: Oh, We don't want. We do not do flops here at Pixar.
0: But Just being open to bringing in fresh ideas and fresh brains and, you know, talents. I think that's part of why Pixar was successful.
1: A lot of these people did stay at Pixar and then form like a a new creative brain trust at Pixar that made other great movies other than The Incredibles too.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. So I'll reserve judgment for the next podcast. All right, Disney heroes. Sadly, it's nearly time for us to go back to our civilian lives for another week. Much like Finding Nemo, there's no songs in The Incredibles. So we shall have to wait another week to hear the sweet musical stylings of Magic by Design's resident singer Nicole.
1: Oh my God, we're doing cars next week. Yeah. Is Nicole doing life as a highway? She's going to have to. <laughs> I am very tickled by this prospect.
0: Gar spoiled it, but we'll have her back next week, we promise. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by our website at magicbydesign.buzzflow.com to find a full list of podcast platforms. We are literally everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube... You name it, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you got your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Do you want to receive classified information about Magic by Design? If so, follow us on the socials, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magicbydesignpod, on Twitter at magicdesignpod, and on Insta at magicbydesignpod. We are always looking to bring new listeners to the show, so if you've got a spare moment, please do leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you don't give us a five-star review, we will dedicate our lives to destroying you, eventually luring you to a private island to enact our plan. Yeah. We'll have a
1: giant robot kill you while also learning everything about you so it can kill you again. Double kill. Super death.
0: Next week, we'll be watching Pixar's seventh animated feature, Cars, so be sure to join us for that. But until then, stay safe and remember, no capes, darling. It's very menacing. Thanks for listening, and until next week, take it easy. Da-da-da-da-da!